like what life is today is just fucking bleak, dude. It's 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 a fucking sad existence, dude. Welcome back to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. It's it's a it's been a while. How you been? What have you been up to? We took a little bit of a break over the summer to do some summer holiday stuff. Anyway, we're back. And I would say better than ever. I don't know if that's true, though. But this episode is uh, Aaron chatting with Jake Kiley. Uh, you might be familiar with Jake Kiley's band. He plays guitar in a little band called Strung Out. They're going to chat about uh, his five favorite Strung Out songs and the stories behind those. And, uh, you know, Strung Out is one of those bands that's, uh, you could call them a legacy band now, for sure. They've been around for a while. They put out some top-tier albums, and we've got Jake on the show to talk about that. So that's pretty exciting. Before we get into that, why don't you go find us on social media? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. That's where you'll find us. Uh, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you rate it, you review it, you share it with your friends, all that good stuff. You'll find Aaron and my, our personal Twitters and Instagrams uh, there as well at Growing Punk Pod. Uh, so yeah, let's let's just get right into it, hey? We, we've kept you waiting long enough, a couple weeks, sitting around, doing nothing, enjoying summer, working on our tans. This is Aaron chatting with Jake from Strung Out about his five favorite Strung Out songs. Strung Out are one of you know the the pivotal influential bands when it comes to to '90s skate punk and beyond. Is that something that you think about much? You know, in regards to your legacy and how you've helped influence the music scene, or is it just uh, been so much a part of your life that you kind of don't think about it? Yeah, I don't really ever think about it. I just want to do it. You know, I just want to be out there actually playing and 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 you know doing something, just playing a show, being on stage, being in a club. That's always been like my most comfortable environment. You know, it's the thing I really want to do in this life. So, yeah, dude. But I, I never think about, like, where our place in the scene or our impact or anything like that really too much. Because it's not really for me to say. You know, it, it's up to you as a listener how our music affects you and, and how whatever, if, uh, however long you end up liking our band for one year, for 10 years, for the rest of your life, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's completely outside of what I'm, I'm we're just trying to, like, write shit that makes us kind of stoked. And yeah. then if we dig it, then hopefully other people dig it. But if they don't, then fucking great. You know, there's plenty of other shit out there. And we're just going to do what ultimately, like, we're most happy trying to do, I guess. Yeah. No, it's just such a, a weird kind of juxtaposition of, you know, someone like me that grew up listening. And, you know, your name is always thrown in with those, you know, classic bands. And so it's always just cool hearing, cool. you know, the perspective perspective of the person that's in that mm -hmm. place. And I know it's different, right? When it's your life, you're living it, mm -hmm. you know, but just kind of knowing, you know, you're yeah. kind of, you've influenced well, so many bands. It's 100% and... different to anyone on the outside than it is to anybody on the inside. And that could go for any group. 
you know, like what you, what you see them doing, what you see them experiencing. Yeah. Like part of it is, you know, straight up, like what, what, what you see, but a lot of it, there's so much more going on. There's so much more stuff at play and there's so many other like feelings going on. It's weird. Like I've always loved it and just had the time of my life, but you meet dudes that are out there having a successful musical career, like doing it, pulling it off and they're miserable. So like, mm. it, it's, it's really weird. Maybe that's just the type of person they are. Maybe they'd be miserable in any situation, but um, it's weird because, you know, you got but it's travel and get out of it ourselves even. So, so, you know, that's, it's all really cool, but that's all been, been missing now for a while. So, so yeah, looking yeah. forward to, to hopefully that coming back to, to where it was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If if you could, if Strung Out ended today, what's if you could take away one thing from your time playing music with with the band, what would it be? Yeah, just uh, just you know, not one single thing, but just all the experiences have been so great. You know, it's been such an education to get out there and see places, meet people firsthand, and and really experience the place, the people, you know, their culture one hundred percent being immersed in it so so you know that's always been a really cool part of it is you know to get to travel in a way where you're kind of i mean we're certainly tourists but we're getting to see it with the locals you know we're, we're getting shown like a lot of the local customs by the local people whether it's the promoter the other bands the, the kids at the shows you're getting to see it in a way that you wouldn't see it if you were just on like some family tour trip or like on a on one of those tour bus trips with like a bunch of 70 year old you know seniors like <laughs> yeah. like you know whatever it takes to get there but i'm just really fortunate i got to get there with like my good friends and we got to do it in this weird way where we just get immersed in whatever culture we're, we're in because that's just what we're thrown into yeah you know? no that's awesome yeah that's well cool. I'm, yeah i'm excited to uh, to get into some of these songs that have helped you know shaped myself and so many others and and so, yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. So we're starting with Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues, which was the mm. second album that was released on Fat Records on April 23rd, yeah. 1996. The title is an amalgamation of Bob Dylan's song Subterranean Homesick Blues and a phrase from the song Baba O'Reilly by The Who. Is there any kind of more background story on how those two things came together for that title? You know, it was definitely a, a mixture of the things that we were experiencing as well. Living in a suburban area, you know, being in a place where most people at that point are, you know, we were, I'm in my early 20s at that point. The other guys were a little older than me, but they were probably starting to feel that a lot of people were just like getting caught in that rut of living in your hometown, not getting out, being in the suburban wasteland of sorts, mm. you know, which is what Simi Valley certainly is, you know, and a lot of these other towns that people, you know, can relate to. So it's just that it's coming from that. But yeah, it, it, it was a sort of a title that came from nowhere because there's a line in one of the songs. But outside of that, there's no title track. There's nothing like that based around that title. So I remember when he told me it, I was like, OK, that's cool. It's, just, it's a long fucking title. Yeah, <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. What do you remember from the, the writing and recording of this album? Oh, it's just a very exciting time. You know, just like all those early days were very exciting because you're you're just getting on the map and you're making your mark and you're you know hopefully doing something that is taking your your influences to another place you know because we we're influenced by all these different groups that we loved so to, to be able to put a record out on a label that we loved and and have it you know be affected by those people 
and have them like respond to it. It was huge. You know, like we really, really were stoked to be where we were. We just wanted to make the most intense record we could. We wanted to step up the performance from the first record. We had been playing a fucking lot, you know, like we, we probably played 20 to 30 shows before we made our first record. And then we probably played 150 shows, 200 shows between the first and the second record. So you're just becoming so much more active. You're out there. You're you're meeting all these other gnarly people. You're, you're seeing these other influences and artists that are that are really making an impact on you. And the bar is just getting raised through all of that. So, yeah, I think all of that just made it a very exciting time. And there was a healthy competition between us and the other bands and the label and stuff to just try to make the gnarliest record we could. And, uh, you know, we did in some ways, I, I think it's, it's, we achieved some shit with it. And there's other things about that record that are just completely fucked. So, so it's in the middle to, to me. Yeah. You kind of mentioned when we were texting this week that, you know, you weren't a huge fan of this album. Is that just, you know, a time thing? Was it, you know, is it old enough now where it's kind of just lost its, its significance or is it just no, a, a tone fucking wise? And... Came out, dude. I fucking oh. hated the sound <laughs> of that record the day it came out. Because it just, it, everyone shot the bed. We, we fucking got Ryan Green to, to start the record and it was going great. And we fucking recorded all the drums, all the bass. We did all the guitars. And then those guys went and took it up to San Francisco to do the vocals up in like San Francisco for some reason. At like, I guess Fat, Fat Mike had access to a studio. And then um, they got like nothing done. They came back and it was mm. like, they got nothing done. So it was just like, okay. And then suddenly the record like fell into this limbo after that of like, like they had to still finish the vocals and then they got this new guy down here, Max Norman, who's an insane legendary engineer and producer. He's worked with Randy Rhodes, he worked with Ozzy, worked with fucking Megadeth, but he kind of just like, he owned the studio where we're in. So, so Ryan got the opportunity to, to start the propaganda record, Let's Talk More Rock. Yeah. So he kind of pawned the record off to Max at that point, at that, at this halfway point. And he was kind of like, hey, you guys mind if Max takes it over and then I can do this propaganda record? And it's like, well, I guess. I mean, that's kind of stupid that you're just shitting the bed and leaving halfway through the fucking session. But Max Norman's rad. So why not? What could go wrong? You know? Yeah. And then, uh, and then Max is a great dude, but just very outside of our scene. Didn't really know what the sound of like the type of shit we were trying to go for. So at the end of the day, it's just this like half and half, like it got started one way. And I think if Ryan had finished it, it would have sounded fucking great, dude. I, I think it would have had that. Like, cause if you compare it to like Good Riddance's Com comprehensive guide record, which came yeah. out like right then and the, and the propaganda less talk record, which came out right then those records sound fucking huge. The drums, the guitars, they sound fucking big and ballsy. They sound perfect. And then our record just has this fucking shit-ass drum machine sounding drums, mm. hair, hair dryer sounding guitars. The bass sounds like anthrax bass, which is probably the best sounding thing on the fucking record. <laughs> and then Jason sounds good, you know, and the songs are good. But the fucking recording, dude, was a nightmare. And it just fucking, I just listened back to it and I just fucking hate it. <laughs> it just sucks. Yeah. That's disappointing. Because you know, I was 20 years old. I made this fucking high performance fucking fast record. But to, to be like held up to that for the rest of your life fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's why I, I love hearing, you know, the musician side, because obviously as a listener, you don't know these kind of things, especially back then. Sure. Right. And so. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like, not my place to, to tell anyone else it's a good or bad record. Whatever you get from that record, that's your experience from that record. Honestly, it's like. Whether I like it or not, doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. It's up to the listener to get what they want. It's our highest selling record. People always refer to it as our best record. Hmm. So I'm not going to tell people it's not. It's just, to me, 
I'm thoroughly disappointed with that fucking thing. I knew what it could have been and what, what I've had to live with. And the remasters sound a little better, but it's still like nothing's going to replace the version of like what, when it came out and when it hit you as a 15 year old or a 17 year old or whatever, whenever that, that record was fresh to you, that's just always going to be a special time for you. So I can't, you know, it's like the, the records I got into, like Injustice for All, it's like one of my favorite records of all time. And most people would say it's not the best sounding record. Like it's it's easily not the best sounding record Metallica ever made. And it's by far not one of the best sounding records of the 80s. But because of when it came out, because of the sound that um, I associate with that and the, and the feelings, that's what makes it so great, you know? So so it, those are always going to be, uh, you know, individual responses that that our listeners have. And that's all good. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's great about music, right? It can be, you know, a bad thing for you and great to someone else, and yeah, you know, there's going to be kind of those back and forth. So, so you guys were pretty much touring full time at this point already, like you said, you played 150 shows, kind of leading up to yeah. this, and yeah, we're was, doing a lot of shows. What was the the kind of music landscape like from your view back then? You know, just touring and connecting with bands, and you know, pre internet yeah. and all that. Right, right. Well, no, it's very exciting because there's still a musical industry, you know, so you would you could hope to climb the ladder, you know, was kind of what we were all hoping. Like, OK, let's put out a couple records. We love fat records. We love Mike. Like this is like the perfect home for us. Maybe we'll outgrow this in a few years. But right now, let's just keep fucking doing this and, and, and building ourselves. And then it seemed like at one point we were probably signed to like a major label. And at one point you start thinking, okay, is the, is the band going to go on to like a more of a radio MTV sort of career? Cause that was happening to a lot of other bands right. on our level and other contemporaries and, and friends of ours. So you always wonder, Hey, what's the path that we should take? And is that the right path? Like that's not even necessarily the right path for every artist. And uh, for us, it probably wouldn't have been like if we had gone like a mainstream route and signed to a major label and tried to do the big, you know, nineties pop punk thing. I don't even know if we would have, we, we might not have even survived that. You know, yeah, we made, you guys are too good for that. It just probably wouldn't have been what we were really into. And the label probably would have been bullshit. And, you know, so it just probably wouldn't have even worked out that well for us, you know? So I'm pretty stoked with just how it all went. Just yeah. staying on that records and just, you know, t- yeah, touring steadily, going on tour with, with all sorts of different bands, doing the warp tours when they first came out was super cool. It was just a very exciting time because everything I grew up with, like skateboarding, you know, punk rock, metal, that was all fused together in those early 90s. And it was like Southern California sound and style was almost being taken around the country and and celebrated in a way, like through the Warp Tour and, and, you know, Green Day and Offspring becoming these big fucking bands that, you know, crazy. It was like the celebration of everything that was like kind of like a small niche for me and my friends. Suddenly that was like national. It was was worldwide. So so that was really cool. But, uh, you know, there's always going to be a backlash to that. You have to expect that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really cool hearing, you know, from the perspective of someone who kind of came up through that, you know, like I was just getting into music, you know, around this time. And so, yeah, well, let's get into a song from this album. So Firecracker, which is the opening track of the album. Gonna go to jail, put inside a cage, and forced to enlist. 
does this track impact you or stand out to you yeah that's a good one because it just uh a lot of energy of course high energy track um good lyrics you know jim wrote the beginning of that song i remember him writing the the opening verse and you know being you know he always had like a kind of political edge towards a mm. lot of his lyrics and yeah. also also with a personal edge and uh yeah just you know that that was an intense song I remember so when we when we tracked it you know it's just i remember just had a lot of fucking aggression to it and i actually didn't want that to be the first song on the record i thought rod and apple should be the first song mm. on the record but that ended up getting chosen as the first song and yeah it's a good one you know but um but all in all yeah i just when i think of everything about that record i just think that song could have sounded fucking better you know yeah yeah no it's hard yeah well opening tracks are kind of a, a theme throughout these songs i'm going to be talking about which um, which is different, but also something that really excites me. You know, I've always been an, um, an opening track guy. You know, ever since I got mm. into music, I always love the anticipation of you know what an al- what an album might hit me with right off the top. You know, it's still something I look forward into music. So it's kind of cool that yeah. that a bunch of these songs are kind of the opening tracks. Is that something that you know Strung Out puts a lot of thought into? You know, in placement or is yeah. it more? Well, your sequence, yeah, sequence is very big with the the feel of the record and, and the way the record's going to hit. So absolutely, a sequence is huge and um i have a lot to do with our sequences i I generally sort of early on start getting a vibe on the songs even before i hear them with lyrics 
I get a feeling like which ones are possible first songs, which ones are possible last songs, which ones feel good at what stage of the record. And um, I just have, I don't know, I just have a, an interesting way of, 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 of sort of envisioning that. And it usually works out pretty well. But uh, yeah, Suburban, I really didn't have a lot in the, in the in, I didn't have much clout at that time. So I didn't really have much pull in the sequence. But um, these days I, I do. And yeah, your first song really needs to, I mean, it sets the tone of the record. Yeah. It needs to be, it needs to be definitive of sort of what you know you're getting into. And not that it needs to, you know, be the the sum of what the record is. It, it can just be the, the the start point. And, you know, I, but I think it needs to have that energy. It needs to be the introduction. And it doesn't need to be the best song on the record. Right. I think the, the, it's more important for the last song to almost be like one of the best songs. Mm. You know, the first song just needs to have impact. You know, right. it can be weird. It can be a short, weird, fucked up song. It can be like, but it just needs to like kick it off and have like, you know, something that that, that takes notice. So the listener puts it on and it catches your attention and it doesn't take two or three songs to, to get your attention. I mean, even back in the nineties, you wanted to get, get people's attention relatively quickly. These days, if you don't get someone's attention in two fucking seconds, good luck, but fuck everything today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm still all about, yeah. The, the kind of full, the full sequenced albums and yeah. You know, yeah. Having that I, first I song, like an album, you know, for the, for the entirety of it, you know, like everyone's telling us don't even do a record anymore. Just put out a single, put out two songs and okay. I get the idea of like, yeah, it's cool. to have like constant something, but then you just have all these arbitrary fucking tracks out there that don't really, they're not cohesive. They don't like, I, it's just gonna be weird to just go around playing all these single solo tracks as yeah. opposed to things based around an album. Cause the album really does for those reasons I was expressing that the intro, the middle song, like song four is a very important song, song seven, you know, the last couple songs, like, it's all very strategic to getting someone to want to come back and listen to that fucking record again. But I'm also thinking in very 90s, 80s terms. You know, these days it doesn't matter. It's all about selling a platinum single today. You know, how many platinum singles does the band have? Like, that's, I guess, where the bar is. So, yeah. yeah weird. Well, and, and, you know, because you, the era you guys came up, you know, a majority of your listeners are probably still expecting the album. And so, mm. I mean, that, that kind of gives you that excuse, too, right? It's like, well, our fans still want an album. So we're still going to totally. do an album. And, Exactly. I mean, yeah, like even for me, even if a single is really good, I'm only going to go back to it a couple of times because then you got to mm -hmm. figure out what to listen to next after three minutes. Whereas an album, it's like yeah. you can really get into it and soak it in and, and really enjoy it. So I think that's... Just, yeah, as a part of our writing process too, like creating this like series of tracks seems like essential to it. To just go in and just write one song at a time and then go record that. And then that's just... Like, it'd be really weird. Like, I don't know even if we would... I don't know how it would affect our writing process if we'd be able to, you know, write as thorough of, of, of a track, you know, knowing it's just this one off. You right. Know? But uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's a changing, changing scene and uh, making records is a changing business. And whatever, dude, I mean, as long as people want to come see us at the show, that's all I've ever wanted. And yeah. Buy the records. Cool. But just come see the live show. That's that's where it really matters to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, talking about that, let's let's talk about Twisted by Design, which is the third album you guys released on May fifth, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, this was the the first CD that I ever got burned. Sorry to to uh, yeah. admit that I ripped you guys off, but <laughs> I so I I lived in a small town. Our CD store didn't have punk CDs. 
And I must have heard a song on a Fat Records comp, and so there was a guy, I was working at McDonald's, and there was a guy that had a CD burner, and this was like a big thing in our town, and so, you know, for 10 bucks, you could get him to, to download you an album, and so my first one, yeah. I was like, I want Twisted by Design strung out, and so yeah. I just remember being so stoked to get that, and so, yeah, it's kind of funny that it wasn't even actually the real mm-hmm. thing, but... Uh, yeah, well, hopefully I, it sounded okay. Well... Yeah, I think anything sounded good in a Discman back then. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, it was different than anything I'd heard, and I absolutely loved it. I also got to see this album played in, in its entirety a few years ago when you guys did the 20th anniversary tour, which was mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that to uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. Yeah, man, thank you. Those were fun. Those are fun shows. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of that, I, I was talking uh, with uh, I don't know if you remember Peter, who used to book shows in Regina here. Um, but yeah. he he was curious, uh, just wanting to know if strung out shows were better in Regina or Saskatoon over the years. Well, they both kind of fucking, to be honest, they both died like around 2000. God, I can't tell you the last time we had good shows in Saskatoon. Better shows in Saskatoon. Well, I don't know. They both used to be really good. Like both places, we would play that college in Regina and then yep. we would play where we play somewhere in Saskatoon that but we'd actually play that same little bar at, the, at that college. It's two universities and dude, they would both just slam dunk dude. They're both fucking knockouts. And then probably around like 2005, somewhere like they stopped doing good. And now both those cities, we just kind of, we don't, we just kind of get in and out. It's a, it's, it's a bummer because they both used to be really good, good cities for punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot's changed here over the years. And, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the last time when you guys brought that show here, I think there was, you know, it was, it was a good turnout for that, and people were stoked. Yeah, but I guess it depends. Okay, but it's, just, it's just not what I remember it used to be. It used to be fucking gnarly there. Like Regina yeah. used to go off, dude. Well, that's yeah. Well, like I'm not originally from here, and so that was one of the reasons why I moved here is because my friends were always talking about. You know, we would drive up here when I was in high school. We were about three and a half hours away, and and mm. uh, so yeah, seeing you guys for the first time. I think it was a Snapcase tour that you guys did um, at the university here. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was awesome. awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So at that show, you guys, you kind of all dressed the same. Was that just like, how long did that last for? I think you just kind of all had the same black, yeah. you know, button-up we shirts. Yeah, like matching shirts, I think. And we, we did that on and off for, for a few years. We, we started doing that probably like around 2001 or something. And then we, we kept doing that till probably like, 2006 or something we, we'd switch up different ones like we had different button up ones and then we had just different like t-shirts with like uh like a symbol on it so it was just kind of a fun way of creating a you know unified look and sort of just a uniform look but uh i don't know it, it got to a point where i got really tired of doing it because if, if you like feel like you have to do it all the time it kind of right so and it's also fun to just wear the shirt you want to wear you yeah, know yeah. like if i want to wear the same fucking shirt as everyone <laughs> every day you know, so it was cool. And some people are like, you guys should go back to that. And to a degree, I, I, I like some of that. But um, you just have to, you know, if you're going to get up there and you're going to be wearing uniforms, everything better be fucking perfect. All right. right. Like if you're that concerned about that, then let's get up there and not fucking fuck up these other things. So, like, I'm just so much more concerned about, like, trying to, like, nail other things, which we don't do. <laughs> like, a, Like, we're still trying to be a better band. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's more of like, let's just let's not worry about that so much. And let's just like get up there and fucking sound good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, I remember thinking that was pretty cool. I, didn't, I had never seen a band 
kind of, you know, just be that kind of uniformed and professional. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it yeah. stood out for good reasons. It was kind of like, oh, cool. like, like these guys are, you know, not just kind of your backyard punk band, but, yeah. you know, and that I mean, was just cool. It was fun. Like, I remember being a fun thing, but then, like, you start seeing, like, like the, of course, like Slipknot and bands like that. They have, right. like, their whole thing. But these days you do see some other bands sort of doing that, you know, like, I saw Anthrax and they all had like matching shirts okay. and stuff. So like, so some bands are, are kind of doing that. So it, it, it can be a cool look, you know, to have kind of a, a uniform thing. Like, you know, it just depends. Like if you're fucking Romstein and you're playing the fucking Coliseum with fucking gnarly flamethrowers, then it looks cool to all be dressed like a bunch of like fucking gnarly dudes. But, you know, at our level, it's like, let's just get up there and fucking try to like sound in tune. You know, yeah. we, we, we do that. <laughs> That's fair. We yeah. fucking sound like the record. We try to do that. <laughs> yeah. Were there any kind of standout shifts in the in the band between um, the, the Suburban and, and this one? Like, do you kind of remember how this album came together? And was there any kind of major shifts or were you just keeping the things going? Yeah, things were still just moving forward at that point. But we certainly were, were having more issues with Jim Cherry, unfortunately, um, between those two records. And then leading into Twisted, and then as a result of Twisted, that was his last record. So, yeah, mostly him just trying to take control over the writing process, um, trying to take complete control over his songs, Mm. which that's fair. If you want to have no one else's input on your songs, and you just want to write your song and tell the dudes how to play the parts, and that's all you want out of it, that happens a lot. But to me, it's like a very, it's, it's, it's a hollow musical experience compared to when everyone's involved and everyone's putting their, their parts in and everyone's trying to make the song better and being allowed to try to make the song better. And right. that doesn't mean you don't go back to the original guy's intention at the end of the day. It, it doesn't mean that it has to, you know, everyone has to have a say in every song. And, you know, that, that's not what makes it the best thing at the end of the day. But if, if, it, if it's just not even allowed, and that's where we're getting with Jim, because we had always been allowed to, to, put our two cents in everyone's songs you know jim wrote a song i could write parts to it no problem and, and same with my songs and then suddenly jim wanted complete authority over just the lyrics but also all the riffs like the arrangement and i remember rob having a problem with it because rob's always been very um just involved in everything you know if we write a song together he's very involved with like everyone trying to like get their parts to lock in together and and he mm. comes up with these very creative on the cuff kind of ideas very spontaneous shit and I just remember Jim not wanting any part of that and, and Rob being like, what the fuck? Why can't I like contribute? And it just became sort of like, it, it became stifling. And, yeah. and, and it wasn't just one song. It was fucking every song he's, he brought for that record, which is four songs. There's four songs on that record that the rest of us really didn't have any input on. And, and I think they're good songs. It's mine of my own. It's just like me. It's asking for the world. And it's, there's one more. It, it slips my mind. They're cool, but they're all kind of they, they could have benefited from the rest of us. They really yeah, could have. definitely. You know, they're, they're not the best songs. They're not the most dynamic songs on the record. And and another thing is Jim then wanted to take complete publishing control, financial control over those songs. So he owned the songs completely and could sell them for whatever he wanted to other companies if he wanted. He could he was making separate money from the rest of us oh. for those songs on the record, which suddenly was just this huge wedge. That because yeah. the band the band was never started under that that pretense. It was started as five people, equal split, twenty percent. Everyone gets a cut. We're all in this together. We're all putting in equal time, equal effort. And just because 
you write a couple riffs and I play them, or I write a couple riffs, or I write some words, or you write some words, we're all giving up the same amount of fucking time in our life to do this. Yeah. So for you to go, you're going to make fucking all the money just because you fucking like are hoarding your shit. And it's not even being better. It, it, it's not even helping the song. You're just hoarding it to hoard it. So, you know, unfortunately, that that it, it, that record was good. But if we all could have been involved in those songs a little more of a gym. But I don't know. I think he was just trying to, I don't know. I don't know what, I mean, straight up fucking insecurity, really, because I've never felt I don't want someone else's input on my music. You know, I, I benefit from other people's input on my music. Yeah. And, and so did his songs, you know. And, uh, you know, so that was a bummer. And after that, that was, we, we, we couldn't work with them again, you know? So it's a bummer. Cause I think we could have definitely done another record or two with him before he passed and, and together with the stuff he wrote for the zero down record and the stuff we came up with for, uh, element and American paradox. Like, you know, I love getting Chris Aiken in the band, but like, if we hadn't had to fire Jim, maybe we could have made another great record or two with all that material. Hmm. you know but but we'll never know but you know yeah. as it is we, we we got chris in the band it became a such such a more productive such a much more enjoyable time with him you know for all of jim's talents he was just miserable most of the time with us hmm. so it was just like it, it, it's hard to be around that yeah and, and i just want jim to finally find some peace you know and be happy that people get so much out of your, your records man because it was it was you know it was discouraging because we'd be out there touring and people would be loving our records and loving the songs and he just was like he'd be like on the mic telling people that we sucked you know like fucking yeah. we, we suck what are you guys even doing here it's like dude they're fucking at our show dude don't tell them we suck yeah. you know <laughs> so but he just he, he just was unfortunately unhappy with a lot of that that shit inside and it came through but he wrote some great fucking songs and i, I wish we could have done a little bit more with him you know yeah. i really do well, that's some good insight into you know just the different dynamics that go into a band right like you you sometimes all come with the same ideas, but then that can kind of split or it only, like you said, it only takes yeah. one person to kind of wedge in there and then it just yeah. creates this dissension. Well, and It's not unique to us. I mean, so many bands have gone through that yeah, same for sure. experience, you know, where one guy sort of ends up kind of wanting a different thing and then the band kind of goes a different direction when the band breaks up because of that. It's a very fragile thing, you know, the, the mm. chemistry involved with four or five people you know it, it's like a marriage to these people there, there's chemistry between it and it, it, it can be a magical amazing thing where the songs like write themselves or it can be kind of fucked and it can be you know a, a beautiful thing that just gets kind of uh i don't know some people just they, they, and i'm not even referring to jim here i'm just saying some people just really they get they, they can't let the beauty of it just be the natural beauty of it they yeah. overthink it and and next thing you know it's it's kind of it's kind of fucked you know mm. so you just gotta, you gotta appreciate it while you have it yeah well let's talk about one of the standout tracks uh matchbook
is not the opening track on this album it's actually closer to the end of the album which is you know maybe more rare for a fan favorite song but it's still awesome and iconic you know nonetheless uh, any idea why this song kind of stands out from this album uh i can't tell you man i mean yeah I, I dig it as a track but it's weird like yeah what makes one song get get a better response than another you know it's not really even in our control i like that song a lot but I don't know, maybe the fact that it just has a lyrical content that people can relate to, Yeah, you know, it's not over their head. It's, it's very, you know, Jason wrote some really great lyrics on, on Twisted by Design, like Too Close to See and, and, and Matchbook. And I think his shit, you know, is fucking incredible on that record. And it's very, it's very just street level. It's very just, you just, you, you understand what he's saying, you know, it's some, sometimes I read lyrics. It's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, dude. That's like, it's so arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, you know, artsy, it's cool, but I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but like twisted, like twisted by design is very just like in your face. And it's, and that's why I think it really connects with people is because it's, it's very much just what we were all feeling. I think, you know, Jim, that was what he was feeling on those songs. So I guess he didn't want us involved because he just wanted to, to be this just straight fucking conduit from his mind to the to the list to the speakers and that's what you get and with jason's you also get that but i think jason was saying just really like it was a very like i don't know inspiring time for him i feel and um i think those songs it just he really got the point across in a way that just really connects with people yeah do you, do you remember coming up with that that opening riff on that song well, that was a Rob song, and Rob, I remember just bringing it in as a demo. He would demo his stuff on, like, a four-track, and, um, you know, he always did these really amazing-sounding demos. Like, they sounded fucking pretty much like the record. Yeah. And uh, it was just like he would play that and be like, holy shit, you have this finished fucking thing, and it sounds great, you know? I mean, he had he had the main riff and those four chords, and the whole song is really just those same four chords. And uh, even... I, I actually just gave a guitar lesson recently where I taught the song and in teaching it, I realized, wow, dude, it's really just these same four chords in slightly different patterns and slightly, mm. slightly different. They don't repeat the same way throughout the whole song, but yet again, it's the same four chords, just in slightly different orders, but, but you never feel like it's just this redundant kind of four chordy monotone thing. Like it, yeah. it's got a dynamic to it. And that's just Rob is awesome at that shit. Like he'll mm. take four chords and he can make those four chords with that intro riff and make and play it 20 different ways. Yeah, and, well, that's awesome. And, you know, and so it's like you can take this shit and then just there's no, you know, that's why I love working with these guys because they can do shit I can't do. So mm. to see yep. them doing that and then to be able to throw in where I can 
and vice versa. I can write some shit that maybe they don't see. They don't do it like me, but then they throw shit on on that. And it's like, oh, that's perfect. You know? So yeah, dude, I just remember matchbook. That was just, yeah, I mean, it was just an exciting time where all that shit was coming together really quickly. We were writing these songs fast, you know, within a month or two, we would have all these songs once we, once we wow. got in the jam room. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, it's hard to really like recall like what I felt the first time I heard it or something, but just very much in the vibe of like we're we're doing better we're we're creating something new with this record too because i remember writing suburban with jim and being like we're we're writing these great songs dude we we can just shit these fucking songs dude like this shit comes out of us so easy let let's and that's cool but let's fucking do something that's so different you know we and we weren't there yet so we didn't know what we wanted we didn't know what that was but jim even he agreed he's like i know i know like like, yeah, we're just kind of doing the same thing everyone else was doing. Like, we knew it and had to go somewhere. And Twisted by Design was that realization of, wow, we can break it down and have a slow pace song. We can have a song like Iceburn that's just super dark, you know? Yeah. We can have a song like, you know, Paper Walls or Tattoo that are super poppy, you know? A song like Matchbook doesn't sound like anything from our earlier records, you know? And Too Close to See, that sounds like, the best of all the strung out records we had made at that point. So it was really just this like honing of, of what we did and all of us really like, you know, coming in and really, you know, I think being on top of our game at that point where we had learned from suburban and we had got it out of ourselves to make that just hyper fast, crazy record. And we couldn't do that again. You know, you, you can't just do another record like that. Like it would be, and honestly be really boring, you know? Yeah. So we had to do something different and and twisted we embraced that heavier bigger sound you know more of a metal guitar tone some really dark heavy shit reason to believe super dark song you know jim jim shit was fucking super introspective and kind of like dark and twisted but that's where he was so like you know just like me it's about being like a miserable person and trying to like inflict that on other people you know mm. or mind of my own just just not knowing even who you are like he was kind of in that dystopian sort of mindset. Jason was more in like sort of an inspirational mindset. And me and Robert just writing riffs. <laughs> me and Robert yeah. Jordan just fucking writing riffs and smoking weed. So, so, you know, that's just kind of where it was. But I feel we really broke some ground with Twisted by Design that honestly no one else was really doing at, in 97, 98. Yeah. Like not in our scene, dude. No, no one was doing that shit yet. Yeah. Did you feel like you got to redeem the the guitar tone and the sound of this album? Kind of how was the recording? Yeah, and Absolutely. Yeah. That was definitely like my fucking thing was we are not putting out another record that sounds like that. Yeah. So that was a huge thing going into it was, dude, the guitars are going to be fucking, I'm not settling on this fucking record. So, and Ulrich Wilde, our producer on it, he was very into big guitars and into that. So as a result, that record suffers in other ways where mm. the drums are kind of buried. And the bass is kind of buried, but the guitars are huge in your face where on Twisted or on Suburban, the, the drums are in your face, the bass is in your face. You know, I, I don't like the tones of them, but they're in your face. The guitar is like this sort of distant thing. So we, we, we went for the opposite, you know, and we achieved the opposite. And that being said, it's not a perfect production. Like I said, there's some buried shit in there, but, uh, but we certainly accomplished that big guitar, big warm guitar yeah. and, a lot of people still refer to that record as like their favorite guitar sound of, of ours and, mm. and shit. So, and I'm really happy with that. I'm, I'm stoked. Uh, I'm stoked to stand by that, that, that tone and that performance right there. 
Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah, let's move into the yeah. next one, which is um, from the album Exile in Oblivion, which is your fifth album released again on Fat in 2004. Yeah. So at this point, you guys have been, you know, consistently releasing albums for about 10 years. You know, what was that like? Did you ever think, you know, the band would make it this far? How were you guys finding, you know, the creative processes after that many years and albums? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a weird time in the early 2000s. Very odd, you know. I mean, you, you could equate it to what 80s bands went through when grunge came around, you know, because suddenly you had the whole shift of the scene where, you know, the fast skate punk melodic kind of thing that we were doing forever, that kind of got crushed by the whole like screamo emo thing, you know, as far yeah. as as far as like mainstream and, and like press and like all that shit. And far, like suddenly that was the only thing they wanted to fucking talk about. So like a lot of bands in our scene just kind of went away, but we weren't about to go away. We just we just kept doing what we were doing. We just sort of embraced the heavier side of, of our influences that was always there. But we, 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 we dug into that even deeper, you know, on, on, on that record on exile. And that's why you have stuff like analog and, you know, pretty much, I mean, that whole record is pretty dark and heavy Yeah. and we weren't trying to chase that fucking sound. Don't get me wrong. Like I liked thrice. I liked, you know, a tray, you, you know, there's some cool shit in that scene, but there's a lot of fucking just generic, terrible garbage in that scene. And so we weren't trying to like become that, but we were just like, we like this darker, heavier shit anyways. That's kind of the way to survive this. So it was either that or go, or go, or go like super pop, like fucking good Charlotte or fucking simple plan and all that shit was out. So it was like you, you had, you had the scene that was like pretty cool that we came from suddenly become this like big overexposed, like either way poppy or way like creepy gothy and like it was just weird dude it's like suddenly the image became way more important than the music yeah in, in the early 2000s up, up till like we did the 2005 warp tour and that was like the height of it and it was like the most depressing thing we've ever done hmm. was being on wow. that fucking tour dude it was just depressing as fuck to have to like see that shit every day and listen to this shit and see them getting these huge responses when no use for a name and us would go out there and get like, you know, a couple hundred people watching, but yeah, you'd see like follow up, follow up boy in this fucking just, to me, it was like teeny bop bullshit. And this is the warp tour. This is the fucking warp tour. Are you kidding me? So, so we were just like, we, we even sat down after that tour and we're like, should we be a band anymore? Like hmm. is music worth it anymore? And you know, we decided, of course it is, but, um, but that scene was just fucking toxic as fuck to us, dude. So we just uh, we just kept our heads down, just kept making heavy records, you know, and, and just doing our own. Like, we were doing great in, like, Australia at that time. We were huge there. We were doing really well in Canada, really well everywhere. It's just the States was, like, in the middle of that whole, like, AP magazine fucking screamo yeah. wave, which was just weird. And it was, like, a new band every week that looked like this and was doing that. So it was just, like, you almost felt like I was 30 years old and I – felt like am i just fucking over the hill is this fucking <laughs> should i even be trying to do this anymore yeah. but uh we knew you know just stick it out this shit's gonna go away just like everything goes away and our shit will come back in a way and that'll be regarded as you know nostalgia because that's what yeah. it is you you have your first wave when you make the impact you're gonna make when you're young and hot in the thing and then you have to survive that 10-year period after that where you're kind of passe but once you get through that you're, you're you kind of have this nostalgic longevity that just you, you're you're unstoppable after that you know mm. if, if you can survive 20 years you know and, and make a good mark in your first 10 years survive that next 10 years and then 
then you kind of made it. And that's kind of where we all found ourselves around like 2011, 2012. You saw Lagwagon coming back and doing a lot of shows. You saw Face to Face coming back and doing shows. Yeah. You saw all the bands from our scene coming back and doing shows, which was really cool because we missed them and we needed them to yeah. be out there doing it, you know? But it, it just, but I understand is like, who the fuck wants to go out there and compete with this fucking shit? So, so I understand it, but, but it felt good to survive that wave. And suddenly like, and then for the last 10 years now, from 10 to 2010 to 20, it was like this whole nostalgia wave where we all had some of our biggest years ever, you know? Mm. So, so you just, you just keep doing it. You don't, you don't worry about it. You just do it because you love it. And, um, and hopefully people stay with you. Yeah. So strung out, never did any, uh, screamo tours then. <laughs> oh, well we took out a bunch of screamo bands. Yeah. Cause like we couldn't bring out the bands we wanted to take out weren't touring anymore. So, right. or they, or no one wanted to see them. So yeah, we took out 18 visions. We took out poison. The well, we took out, well, those are, um, those are the, that's the good side of the spectrum too. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, well, we took out the, yeah, the bad, the better bands. Exactly. The ones that I think were like the actual role, like the ones, the leaders of that scene, Yeah, you know, like poison. The well were fucking sick and I'm, oh, I'm yeah. still a huge fan of them. And I don't even, I mean, they are the screamo thing, but like, they're like, I hate to even call them that because it sounds like I'm making fun of them. And I don't mean to because they're fucking rad. But like so many people were influenced by what they did and they just made such a cheap version of it. Right. Just like just like people were influenced by what we did and put out, you know, whatever versions of it. That's going to happen. But um, but yeah, you know, we took out all these like all those bands, you know, um, Haste the Day, Seosin, fucking we would take all those bands out as our support and they'd be doing like just as good as us. Hmm. You know, it was like co-headline basically. Yeah. But, um, was that hard to see is, is the, the headlight band or could you, Oh no, I mean, no, we're stoked to have an opening band that gets a good response. Like no way. Like, like, like we're happy for them as long as those fans then give you the respect and stick around for you. Right. Yeah. You know, which, which, which happens to a degree and sometimes it doesn't, but if you're just going to buy a ticket and say for the, if you just want to see the first band and leave, then, you know, you're pretty much, pretty much cheaping yourself out on, on probably seeing something you might be into, you know, yeah. like you've already bought tickets to the show. You might as well stick around to see everybody. But, you know, when I was 17, I'd probably get in and out of there, too. Yeah, so, well, that's fair. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the song off of, of this album, Analog.
this, yeah, like you said, it definitely has a heavier feel to it. You know, it's not as fast, kind of punk like some of the other openers, but it still has a really good energy, you know, that's needed for the opening song, like we mentioned. Yeah. Do you remember writing this song and kind of any thoughts on how this one came together? Yeah, that was just one we put together. Chris wrote the main riff, I remember, and like the, the intro and the verse. I think those were all Chris's parts. And I just remember kind of like arranging it with him, I think on, a, on the bus, like we were just on tour somewhere you know, around 2002, 2003 at that time. And uh, just kind of coming up with, he had that intro riff, which was cool, but it was very different. You know, it was very thrash. It was, it didn't sound like strung out. It was more metal, Yeah. but, but it's okay to, to do that as long as you can blend it in with some, some things that, that do then bring you into the elements of your sound. You know, like it, it's a weird thing. You don't want to like just repeat yourself, but you want to do some things that let the listener know this is like a trademark <clears throat> of your, of your sound. So so that record, like, you know, we certainly broke a lot of barriers, you know, like I, I feel after Twisted, when we did the Element of Sonic Defiance record, that broke a ton of barriers. Yeah. And then I feel we broke more barriers again on that record, which which is cool. And that's probably the record I'm most happy with of all of our records is, oh, is wow. Element, you know, as far or, or Exile, I mean, because, uh, yeah, I just feel the songs, where we were, what we got out of it. I just wish the mix was a little better. You know, mm. the mix isn't that great, but the actual album is fucking my favorite, you know? So it, it's just cool that, yeah, 10, 12 years after your early formative shit, you can make what I feel is our best record. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, you get so much experience, and, you know, by that point, you really know what you're wanting to get out of something, you know, while still yeah. trying to kind of push it a little bit. And so that balance, exactly. you know, of pushing but knowing – yeah, what, what you're hoping exactly. to get out of it. So. And I feel we created something that stands on its own and sounds like us and doesn't sound like a lot of other people. You know, yeah. like you put that record on, you're not going to get confused with a lot of other people, which I like about, about us in that regard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely has that standout. Yeah, like you said, even when when songs turn heavier or kind of a bit different, like whether it's, you know, the guitar tone or just the type of riffs, like mm-hmm. you just know it's strung out. And so that's that's awesome that you guys yeah. are able to, you know, stay creative, still push it a bit, but keep that sound that, you know, keeps you. people coming back. So well, that's great. Thank you. I think we realized early on that if you have the same four or five people playing this shit, it's going to sound like you. You know, give give us any cover song in the world. And if the lineup from Suburban played that, it's going to sound like that band. Yeah. You know, if the lineup from Exile plays that, it's going to sound like that band. Whether it's fucking Stairway to Heaven or fucking, you know, Britney Spears song, like whatever, dude, it's going to sound like this component, like these chemicals, these five people. So, so knowing that we were like fuck it we don't need to try to write like this it's gonna sound like us so let's let's write like that let's write fucking like over there because guess what when we play it together it's gonna bring it back it's gonna bring it back to being strung out you know so and that's what's great about retaining a lineup for as long as you can is because then you have that sound that you can literally do anything and you're and you're gonna sound like that entity and the people that like that hopefully will will support it Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, moving on to our fourth one. So we're talking about Blackhawks over Los Angeles, which is your sixth album, released on June twelfth, two thousand seven. You know, so six albums. Like at this point, you know, are you still trying to you know work with different producers or different you know either management or is are things pretty mm-hmm. locked in at this point? Um, not well. Yes and no. 
this is the first time we're ever going to work with the same producer twice in a row, you know, because we worked with Matt Hyde on Exile. And then we, we had such a great experience with him. And he is just such an incredible producer and musical fucking doctor that we were like, dude, we need more of that. Like, let's do another one. Let's fuck it. Let's just go yeah, back to awesome. it. Awesome. And because because that was great. And and I feel we got a better sounding production for sure with Blackhawks. But I don't feel the music was as inspired and could be a number of reasons for that you know personally didn't write not not that happy with my contributions on that record the the, the the four pieces of music i contributed not my favorite of my catalog not my favorite of the record just just and it just i don't know it's just kind of being where we were i think i think we were getting kind of burned out at that point where the whole 2000s was kind of dragging on us like exile did well but we were still caught like fighting against that whole screamo thing and and the scene was just weird we were going out there on tour and playing to less people than we have been playing to in the past and so and when you do that like you still you're still doing what you love but it's like you start going is this dying is this is this worth giving up everything for still is this you know is, is it still a healthy thing and um and i think other guys started feeling that i think at that point some people start liking maybe what strung out was and maybe wanted to go sort of a different way which that's fair and okay but um your audio is getting a bit quiet again sorry oh sorry yeah Yeah, just uh just that record i think some people were maybe getting a little tired of like what strung out was and maybe Mm. wanted to create something that was you know different in in some ways which we always try to do something different but maybe it was a little more premeditated which you never should do you don't yeah. want to go into premeditated. You want to go in and just feel the energy of the moment and, and respond to that and, and feed off that and heart, harness that. And I think maybe there's too much premeditation on that record. Um, I feel it's like the closest thing to like a rock album we've ever made where it sounds good and it sounds big, but it doesn't have the energy that like almost any other strung out record has, in my opinion. Mm. You know, I put on that record and I honestly, I, I can't listen to it for very long. Like it just it just drags to me, you know, there's cool shit on it. And there's there's things on it. There's great guitar playing on it. There's this great drumming. Like the production sounds good. It's probably our best sounding record next to uh, transmission alpha Delta. It's probably the next best sounding record. So it's, it's, it definitely checked a lot of boxes, but I do feel, and also I just, the response it got just seemed kind of like, eh, you know, where the, the response to, to, uh, exile was actually pretty terrific and especially when you consider the era it came out 2004-2005 it got a really pretty great response um, Blackhawks didn't did get such a good response and and I, I, I don't blame people for not feeling like the same because it just doesn't have the energy to me it's just mm. you put it on like the first song Calling kicks it kicks you know some ass you know it starts off with some life and then it just by the middle of that record it just fucking drags to me you know, oh. I, I don't know if it's some weird thing about it to me, but for, for just myself. So we are in a place like I'm saying, I just don't think everyone was totally happy with what string out was where we were maybe in our career. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was still I, I was I was getting into more like protest the hero and some gnarly, like really riffy shit at that point, yeah. I remember. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to really steer strung out that way. But I do wish we had more of that kind of really intricate kind of cool shit on that record, which which we don't really, you know, it's more like I said, just kind of like rock songs to me. 
So that is yeah. it's cool, but we don't play much of it live. We do like one, maybe one or two songs off it live. We don't do much off it. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I love this album. It, yeah, it might not be one of my like go tos from yours, but I was just, I think, this summer re-listening through it, and it just kept songs coming up, being like, oh man, Nick, this is such a good song. So. I don't know. From from my perspective, cool. you know, it still stands out. But you know, I, awesome. I I'm the kind of guy that if I love a band, you know, and their sound is consistent, I'm gonna like kind of everything they do. So maybe I'm mm-hmm. not the best, you know, critic in that regards. But was there? Was great, I'm curious as if to if there was much like feedback or guidance from Fat Records, you know, especially in this era, you know, are they kind of just saying just keep doing, you know? What you've always been doing, because I mean, there's lots of you know, even Fat Mike himself, you know, was going through probably lots of these same transitions with no effects and, and other bands. You know, was yeah. there much conversation around that, or was it just kind of do whatever you want? No, not that I recall. The label's always been pretty hands off. Like you know, to be honest, like we we probably wish they were doing more. Um, but what I remembered, yeah, like the whole mid 2000s, like like the like with Exile. We, we made a record we felt fucking was insane and fucking kicked ass and was contemporary and could fucking hold in there with anything coming out in the middle 2000s. And we were on the whole Warp Tour, which was a big deal. And our video, like we made a video for Analog and it like wasn't getting any attention. Like hmm. like MTV would do these like Warp Tour specials and shit. Yeah. And they'd play all these fucking random nobodies. And then it's like we have this video we just made and we can't get fucking played on anything. So we, we'd be trying to get Fat Records to fucking get behind that. I remember like Fat Records had like a booth on Warp Tour 05, but it was like dude, the label was fucking pretty shot, dude. Like no one really gave a fuck. You, what, what I remember is labels that were so far under Fat Records at our peak, like Hopeless Records or Fearless Records, these other records we labels we knew of, guys that we really liked and were cool, but we never thought about putting a record out with them because we had a fat. And right. they started fucking crushing fat in the mid 2000s they started putting out records they started getting their bands on mtv they started fucking crushing dude yeah and like like fearless records our our buddy bob becker who runs that we've known him forever dude awesome dude great dude and we did some seven inches with him but he got that band plain white tees and made them like fucking humongous and like yeah. there's all these bands like that where it was like dude fat records lost they pretty much lost every advantage that they had built up until the 2000s I don't know what happened. I think maybe, I think they were very slow to adapt with the internet and with like internet marketing yeah, and shit. We're, we're, we're hopeless and fearless and these other labels that were much under fat really as far as sales and all this other stuff, they were fucking hungry and aggressive mm-hmm. at marketing and they took bands like Avenged Sevenfold and Thrice and they oh, fucking yeah. took that shit through internet marketing or something. I mean, they're good bands, but next thing you knew it was fucking everywhere. And we were just like, fat, what the fuck? You know, how the fuck are we dropping the ball on this shit? And they really didn't have any answers. So I just remember being at the time, we were all just like, whatever, dude. Like, we, we all we can do, all we can count on is ourselves. And to answer your question, no, nah, they didn't have any advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's again, great, great insight because, you know, for someone like me, you just kind of assume that a label like that, that was so prominent for so many years, kind of holds yeah. its weight, you know. But yeah, like you said, Right I think they were just confused. I think everyone was kind of confused. Like, what's going on? Like, what is, like, how is the scene this now? We were all kind of confused. And it happened really quick. But that's how shit was, dude. I mean, don't get me started, dude. I, I could go back <laughs> to, like, the year 2000, and I can equate, like, 
everything in today's life like going bad basically from around that era you know whether it's fucking napster and fucking social media and reality tv and fucking everything that's shaped where the fuck life is today you know yeah. like that was that was like the birth point of the shit that is kind of everything was going really fucking good man up until like 2000 and i'm not like for everything for a lot of things you know and then it's like everything got so everything changed so quickly to where now we're caught in this loop of just constant feed and constant dopamine from people liking bullshit, nothing that people put up and just like what life is today is just fucking bleak, dude. It's, it's, it's a fucking sad existence, dude. I think the internet is so fucking bad for people. I think cell phones and and just have a a cell phone to call someone. All right. That was, that was great. But what this gives us, humans were not meant for this constant, immediate stimulation yeah. and overstimulation. And what it's doing to us as a culture, as a society, is fucking horrible. And I don't even want to fucking imagine what it's going to be in 20, 30 years when kids that have only known this are fucking running the show, dude. Like, you know, so, yeah, dude, it's a crazy time. You go back to, like, the 2000s, everything changed so quickly right then that it was like we were all caught just trying to adapt. You know, the label, us, and uh, and it just, you know, next thing you know, just, I don't know. It, like, we just kept doing it, and it kind of came back around, you know? And now you don't see many of those bands from the 2000s even touring anymore. So, right. you know, it, it's all it's all in a cycle. You know, it, it all comes back. You just got to keep your head down and just keep making the music you love. And that's what we've done. That's how we've survived is no matter what all that shit was, we just fucking went to practice, wrote the shit we wanted to write, create the songs we like playing and we're, we still love to play these songs, you know, like I don't like suburban as a record, but I love those songs. I will play those fucking songs any day for anyone for any time. Yeah. You know, yeah, as long awesome. as you want, like that, that's, and that's my legacy. And that's why if, if I did pass away tomorrow, like at least I had these songs that fucking will outlive me to some degree, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe I won't be fucking Beethoven, but like at least in 20 years, maybe people will still be listening to some of the shit. So, so it's all good.
on, on the song calling, what's what's the story behind the kind of old Western country little twang to the start of the song? Yeah, that was just kind of I don't know like where that idea came from. It's got that weird intro, you know. So I think it was kind of like the idea to do like a good, the bad, and the ugly kind of like oh, yeah. theme. Like me and Chris always like these metal records that had like acoustic intros, like oh, Testament, yeah. Forbidden, like all these like old Bay Area thrash dudes were always like doing cool fucking acoustic intros. So so Chris was always writing these acoustic intros, and and that one just kind of caught on because they had that Western kind of feel. And uh, I think it's sort of just I don't know. I think Chris recorded it separately. And then Matt ended up just going, hey, this actually ties in really good to this calling song that we mm. recorded. So I, I want to say Matt probably had a lot to do with it. Matt Hyde probably had a lot to do with sort of like connecting those two. But I could be wrong. Chris may have wrote it in mind to to be the, the start of the song. I just I don't recall exactly, but I, I just remember it sort of coming together in the studio. And uh, Chris wrote like the main thing. And then Chris plays all the parts on the acoustic uh, intro. That's all him. So he just kind of wrote those, you know, acoustic kind of harmonies. And yeah, it, it's, it's got some of that. Like if you ever listen to Testament and like some of that shit, you, you might hear what we were going for with that. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good to have some background. I mean, yeah, it's not like it's this like mm. super long intro, but it's just different. Right. And so yeah, always like yeah, kind of hearing the story like, of wanted, that. Yeah. We had wanted like an acoustic part on the record for a while. And like, that was like the first time we, we were finally able to do it, I think. Yeah, right on. Yeah, well, let's move on to our, our last one. So talking about Transmission Alpha Delta, which is your eighth album. was released yeah. on March 24th, 2015, again through FAT. So this album is your highest charting album, reaching number 144 on the Billboard 200. That's okay. right. Like, what, what do you kind of equate that to? Like, you know, was there a resurgence, you know, at this time kind of? Yeah, it was kind of what I was talking about where, like, it sort of all started coming back again around the 2010s and so we we made the we made the agents record in 2009 and i know you want to really go into that one but that record was kind of like it was kind of that same vibe as um blackhawks where it just felt uninspired and it just felt kind of like like no one was really happy with it you know as far as us and even the fans i don't think anyone really fucking liked that record much so we just straight up took some time off like 2010 through 2014 all we were doing was just touring off like the fucking re-releases of like Suburban and Twisted. And then we did like the box set that came out. So once again, we were, we were touring for Suburban and Twisted. So it was a very uh, retrospective era, like 2010 cool. to like 2014. It was very retrospective where we, we weren't working on new shit. We were kind of over making a new record at that point. We had fucking whatever, eight records. So it's like, Let's just fucking play the old shit people like, you know? And, and we started doing those. That's when we did that, the, the, the tour where we did the records in its entirety and shit. And it was really a good time doing that. And by doing those, really reacquainting ourselves with those old records, we, we kind of really just really re-acknowledged like what was special about our band in those early days. So after a few years, we ended up going, let's fucking make another record, you know? So we went in around 2014. You know, the longest time we've ever had off in between records, four or five years. That's yeah. crazy. But we took that time off and we went in and we and we made transmission. And it was a combination of the nostalgia of people that had kind of grown up with us and maybe went into things and then were kind of rediscovering us again. And also just just like I said, Lagwagon was back. Face to face was back. You know, all these bands were back touring, making records. The whole scene was just feeling more robust. 
and the screamo shit was old hat now. Okay. Yeah. So now you had that shit being like passe, which that happens to everybody, right? So so we got to benefit off the fact that, hey, you know, check it out. We're the nostalgic, but we're also still a fucking on fire. Like we're still gonna make a record that is gnarlier than what we've even done. And that's what I feel we really did with transmission was we were all on the same page because of what I just said, how we had taken some time and we, we had reacquainted with what made our band special and unique. We were all back in that same point, which hadn't been that way for a long fucking time. Mm. And we were just fired up. We were inspired. And then we had met Kyle Black, who was just a huge fan of ours, who wanted to make like the ultimate strung out record and wasn't going to settle for less. So so all of those factors combined to, to create that record. And uh it couldn't have been made without all those those things being what they were at that time, I feel. Yeah, well, it's an amazing sounding album. It's, yeah, it's definitely Thank one you. of my favorites of yours. Super strong, really catchy. I mean, yeah, it brings that Thank energy you. and speed back, but with it being really memorable. and It's, just, it's got a, like a life to it, I feel. I, I, I still put that record on, and I'm blown away by how good it sounds. Like, yeah, that's awesome. I, I can't put on any other strung out record and feel that. I, I'll put on old shit and be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, oh yeah, that's cool. I remember I was. Yeah, that sounds all right. But no, I put on that fucking record, dude, and I'll like, I'll beat off to it, dude. Like it's fucking, I'm stoked on it, dude. And I don't like, I don't think the new one even touches it, you know. Like, and I equate it to Kyle just going. I mean, he he put us through the fucking ringer on it, dude. He fucking made us go so deep on so many parts. We were like, dude, the part is done, Kyle. It's fucking good. It's it's done. <laughs> and he was like, but, but just just come over, just try this, just try this. And like, all right, dude, I'll fucking try it. And I would do it, and if, if he even just got a little something out of it that he needed, it made the part better. Yeah. And and he would just keep doing that. And it, it was very inefficient and it felt crazy at the time. Like, wait, we're gonna we're gonna redo the bass to that song that we already did. Why do you want to redo it? It's great. But I hear something else. All right, dude, it's your fucking studio, it's your time. Like, because we just gave him a flat rate and we basically had all the time to record that he let us have. So yeah. we could keep going back and going back and and he had a lot of other projects. So he, like we would do like two weeks and then we have to take like two weeks off. So we would live with what we did for those two weeks. And we would come back and be like, Hey dude, I can do this better. Like mm. what we did two weeks ago, it's cool, but I've got another idea. So we kept doing that. The, the record took six months to record oh, wow. because of that. And, and then, and it wasn't like the plan and it sucked at the time, but because of that, we were able to just keep refining that record and refining it. And, you, you can overproduce the thing. You, you can lose the, you can lose a lot by doing that. You know, you can lose, lose the immediacy of, of, a, of a project, but Kyle just fucking, he, he just had this vision, dude. And he just kept dragging it out of us. And there was some tense times there, man. There was some fucking tense yeah, times, but, but you know what I need? I want that, dude. I want a record that I don't even want to enjoy making the record, dude. I want to be in there fucking at my wits end, pulling my hair out if that means that I fucking create something that is so much better than, than the last thing I did, yeah, you know, you know, we, we work with producers who go, Hey dudes, let's have a great time on this record. You know, let's, let's have fun. And you know what? I don't want, I don't want to fucking hear that dude. I don't want to have a good time. I want to have fucking fun. Like that'll come on stage. Okay. That'll come when I'm fucking like living this on stage right now, this needs to be rough and painful and gritty. And I want you to fucking beat the fuck out of us until you get what you need from us. And it needs to be that high bar. And so far Kyle black is the only dude that's really gotten that out of us. I mean, Matt Hyde did, 
but it was a different approach. You know, Matt was much more studious and, and much more, I mean, he's, he's fucking a mastermind. Kyle was too. It's just his process was different, but his passion level was higher. You know, Matt was like, yeah, let's make a great record. I'll give it everything I have. But Kyle was like, I'll fucking kill myself to make this record the best fucking thing you've ever done. Yeah. So it's like, it was obsessive, dude. But I love him so much for getting that out of us and drive and pulling that out of us. And we may, we may never make another record, but I have that record to like, to fucking put on when I'm old, man. I can fucking, I, I'm so proud of that record. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. Thanks for sharing all that insight. It just, yeah, adds so much to, the whole experience of, of listening to it and it was worth oh, all good. the pain and all that. And well, yeah. well, I hope it does. I'm not trying to discolor it. I'm not trying to make anyone that digs anything, like look at it. Like I, this is my own two cents on the shit. Like, sure. like what I said, it, it's not mine to judge. It's your album. Now it's your, it's yours guys. But, um, but it just, you know, it, I'm, I'm just, I'm just humbled that you guys hear some shit in there that maybe I fucking don't really hear. You know? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's talk about the opening song, Rats in the Walls. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed. The bitterness of men fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. Liberty will never perish.
absolutely killer opening track. Maybe my one of my favorite opening tracks from all your albums. You know, it just has such an awesome energy to it and hits hard. Super catchy chorus. You know, Thank you. what do you remember about the the creative process with this song? And did that you know that exactly, it was going to be the opener? You know, um, I sequenced that record like like I generally have sequenced our records, and yeah, that one really felt like a first song. You know. That was an interesting record to sequence because like sometimes I would go, oh, I want the fastest song to be first. But that's not always like the best thing. Sure, you want the first song to be fast. But yeah. that record, I was like, wait, the fastest song is Nowheresville. Should that be first? And it was like, no, actually, that doesn't feel first. I'm going to put Nowheresville number seven because what a surprise is it going to mm. be to get the fastest song on this fucking record to come in at number seven. Okay? So just, just to kind of just give you that extra kick in the ass halfway through, you know? So, but with Rats on the Walls, I remember we wrote that song spontaneously. Like most of the time we come in with songs like, like I've got riffs, Rob has riffs, Chris has an arrangement. Like we come in with something to show the guys, like a couple parts arranged. That one was just, I think Rob or Chris, maybe Chris just had the bass line. And it was one of those things where they just sat in and, and Jordan just started playing the beat and Chris just kind of started playing the line. And it was one of those just jams where, We've had a couple of those. Like, I think Cemetery was one of those. I think Uncoil was one of those. But this song was one of those where it just, it had no, no one had any idea of any of these parts. It just was completely put together on the spot. And up up until, like, I'm not going to say it was completed the entire song, but I bet it was completed, like, to the bridge within, like, 10 minutes of yeah. just jam, wow. you know? So and then and then it was refined, you know. Of course, not every part was like right there, you know. It was the the outline was there, and then you know all the sort of leady stuff I did, I worked out on my own, and uh, you know it was all refined, of course. But yeah, that was an example of a spontaneous song where th- those will happen, you know. Someone will just go, "Hey, someone come play play along with this. What do you think of this?" And you just throw out a riff and you see where it goes. And and those are really cool when they happen because it's one hundred percent like fucking magic you know it's 100 yeah. percent something taken over no meditation on it just fucking just off the cuff complete just fucking and sometimes we all hear the same changes like as we're jamming it we all know to make the same change and like so that's when it's like okay there's something between us that 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 we should be doing this yeah yeah well yeah and again you can hear that on there right like how long you guys have been playing together and just the songs you know vibing taking that break and you know Mm -hmm. touring playing together and you come together and you know i think all that you know aids the sound of this album sounding so good so thanks dude it It was a combination and, and yeah we also tuned up half a step on that record we're in e flat as opposed to d standard and we, we did that just because we had tried doing it on the Soulmate cover when we, we covered Soulmate, like with Kyle right before we did that record. And we tried it because no use for a name. We're always in E flat. So we we're like, you know what? Let's, let's do it in E flat like they do, you know, and we liked it. It turned out so good that we we're like, fuck this. This almost gives like an extra life to the to the vocals. Yeah. And it, let's do this fucking record in E flat, you know, and, and it worked. And I feel it did sort of give like an extra life, like. The, the the tonalities are a little brighter they're 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 a little i don't know it's it, but e flat's a weird thing when you do this half step you're writing in a half step which which creates weird tension as well you're not writing in a whole step so so yeah it's uh for whatever reason it just worked on that record man 
It's really yeah. worked. Well, it's crazy how something, you know, simple like that can change the overall sound to a whole album. Yeah, yeah, I can. And we play them in D. We still play them like we do the rest of our majority of our set. We're not going to tune up just for those songs. Right. And it's a slight change. Like if you hear us playing it live, you'll still think it's the same song from the record. You're not, it's not like a, it's not like some fucking thing that's going to like totally catch you off. But, uh, but you know, it's just this little extra, like it just gives it like a little extra life. I feel when you, when you listen to the record. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I just got uh, two kind of last things here and then I'll let you go. I wanted to, uh, to touch on artwork. You know, I've always loved strung out's artwork between the diversity and originality of it. You know, it definitely you, adds though. a lot to your discography. So uh, I know your singer Jason is, is an artist of some form and, um, yeah. you know, has he been the kind of visionary for your album's artwork or? Yeah, yeah, he really has. He's done every cover. Um, you know, virtually he, he's either, he's either done the cover or he produced the cover. So mm. yeah, 100% like fucking to have in-house art like that has been incredible. You know, when I first met Jason, I knew him from an art class at school. He, you know, I didn't even know the band or anything yet. And I knew of him as an artist. So when I got in the band with him, I always knew he was like this great artist and, and he started making, you know, he would do our flyers back then. So it was like, Oh dude, this guy, you know, can do some sick fucking album covers. So when it came time to do the album cover, it just made sense and he wanted to do it. And it's just always been great to have that consistent in-house guide where we don't have to go explain it to someone. It's just, it comes from within. So, yeah. so it's been really cool. And he's always been awesome about, you know, being very, you know, capturing the, the feel of the record. And he's always been super cool. He's like never asked the band to like pay him to do the shit. He just does it because he wants to do it, which is really cool. I mean, yeah. he, he deserves to be paid for it, you know? And uh, so, yeah, he's always done the artwork. Um, he did, yeah, the last album he painted, the last two albums he painted, which is my favorite when he paints our album covers. That's that's my favorite medium mm. for, for our album covers. And he's done that. He's done some, you know, like the early shit was like cut and paste, you know, if you look at. Yeah, uh, yeah which is kind of a classic. I love that. Yeah, it's literally a picture of tulips and then cut out a cut out photo of kids in gas masks just laid on it and then fucking mastered. It's literally all it was. And, and I think the second one was an elaborated version of that. And then, you know, I was there when we took the photos for Twisted by Design of the, the girl with the roach. It was, it was a little doll head that we got in Europe at this like squat we stayed at. We like took like all these creepy doll heads that they had backstage. And Jason brought one and we, we went to this lady's house who had these Madagascar roaches or like big spinning mm. cockroaches and we take it and put it on the doll, and snapped a bunch of photos. So yeah, it was really crazy creating all that. Yeah. Well, it just, yeah, it adds so much to, you know, a discography, you know, it's cool just to see the diversity throughout the albums and, you know, just what it adds to it, you know, not every album you would pick up and be like, okay, this is, you know, uh, a punk album, whatever you, you know, it kind of would take a bit, right? Because there's some, you know, some bands like, you know, you pick it up and it's like, okay, you know, you can kind of guess what it would be, mm -hmm. especially if it's got the Fat Records logo. But I feel like with yeah. you guys, it could kind of be like, oh, this is a Fat Records band. I wonder kind of what direction this, this would yeah. be. So, yeah, that's yeah, really I neat. I think our whole band has always been kind of outside the box in that regard of like what you might expect from Fat Records. We've always kind of been a little bit of a black sheep in that regard and a little bit of a, a you know a left turn from but but fuck it i mean <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad to not be exactly what's expected you know we're, we're still one of the top sellers on the label so you know it, it still worked with with the label 
but you know what just just challenge people challenge yourself challenge people and and jason's always been one to do that you know he, he definitely will 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 do things on his own terms and and it's cool you know because you, you sort of have to be you have to be that you know you, if you're trying to lead and, and do things in an original way you can't worry about fucking fitting in some hole you know yeah yeah, well, to to end, kind of what what does the immediate future hold for Strung Out? You know, assuming things kind of stay open with COVID, but is there any yeah, plans man. to you know to tour? Or you kind of mentioned not necessarily recording anything anytime soon, but yeah, dude, it's so weird. Like we have a few shows. We got a couple shows coming up next yeah. month. We got a couple shows in November. We're hoping to do some touring next year, but like with the club shows not really happening. Like our, our booking agent, we were looking to go out in September. And then she was like, look, it just the the promoters are sketchy. They don't know if, um, you know, what the what the what the mandates are going to be. They don't know if they want to give bands guaranteed money or just like a door deal. And if you're only able to play like a, a club at like 50 percent of its capacity, which that's what's happening in some places, then you can't make very much money off the show. Yeah. So. So it's just logistically kind of a, an impossibility to tour like the way we always have, you know, the, the, the tour I'm doing with the gimme gimme is we're, we're supporting flogging Molly. So it's this giant fucking, it's like 5,000, 6,000 seat rooms. It's wow. humongous. So those type of shows can go on. Cause I think, you know, I mean, they're all vaccine. Um, you have to be tested or have proof of vaccination to go to the show. But um, I think, you know, those bigger venues, there's a little more space, you know, so it's a little safer. If you're going in a 300 capacity club with no barrier and just right in everyone's face. Yeah, yeah it's a bit tougher. It's, it's going to get gnarly. So I honestly can't tell you, dude. I'd love to say we're going to tour all next year and shit, but it's, dude, I don't know. I, I, I hope so, but fucking yeah. it's like possible to predict, you know? Yeah, well, we'll just keep an eye out, right? That's all we can kind of do and yeah, hope for the best. Exactly. And, but... We'll, yeah. we'll certainly let you know. We'll certainly put it up there as soon as any shows come along. We will hype the shit out of it. Yeah, but, uh, definitely. Now, it's like four or five shows. So hopefully hopefully I do more with the Gimme Gimme's next year as well. So hopefully I'll see people on the road doing that. And hopefully Strung Out are, are able to tour. And we have a bunch of new songs, like music. We wrote like a dozen new tracks musically. And uh, we've sent them to Jason. So he's just writing to them. And at some point we'll probably record them. But once again, it's just getting in a studio together and recording it's just we, everyone's just been trying to take it fucking safe and easy yeah and, definitely. And, you know so i think next year will be a obviously it can't, it can't be less productive for right. us it, it'll be somewhat more productive but uh you know it, it's completely i'm a passenger in this whole fucking situation yeah. sucks yeah well jake really appreciate your time and your insight yeah, it's been uh yeah just a privilege to get to hear these stories and insights to mm-hmm. to songs i've been listening to you know oh, some you for it, 20 years or so so really appreciate it awesome. you're, you're my pleasure aaron i'm glad you enjoyed it. i hope i didn't bum anyone out too much on my uh my my recollection <laughs> your, your anti-screamo yeah <laughs> no. No, no there's actually some great shit in that you know I, we love heavy music you know just you gotta sing about Think about breaking up with girlfriends every day, yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. dude, heavy shit, man. Heavy shit for life, yeah. Right on, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, have a good one, buddy. Take it easy.